Welcome to the Calvary Young Adults Podcast. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. Here's today's sermon. But it's so good to be with you guys. If we've never met before, my name is Sarah. I get to be one of the pastors here at Calvary Young Adults. And I'm thrilled to be with you to continue in our fall series. But before we dive into the core value tonight, the topic we're going to be talking about, I just wanted to ask a question, and I'm going to ask for a raise of hands. So you could be bold here in this moment. Um, But my question that I want to open the tonight with is this. How many of you find it harder to do life when you're feeling lonely? When you're feeling lonely. I know there's some lone wolves out there who are like, I love being alone. I'm an introvert, so I understand that. But I'm talking about like loneliness where like I feel disconnected from people and God. It's harder, right? This is kind of a more vulnerable question, but you can still raise your hand. How many of you have felt more lonely in the past few years? than maybe you have in other seasons of your life. If not, praise God. But I asked these things, because as I was looking at this topic tonight, there's a reality in our world today that I find maybe unsurprising, maybe you wouldn't either, but it's this. According to the general surgeon, which is basically just a fancy term for the person who gives public service announcements or is in charge of our public health, says this about the climate of the world. It says, today, our world is in the midst of something researchers are calling the loneliness epidemic. The advisory reported that this was most pronounced in young people aged 15 to 24, who had 70% less social interaction with their friends than other age groups. Now, I'm not trying to be prescriptive to you if you're someone who are like, man, I was in that place, now I'm out of it. Some of this is COVID-related. But there's so many elements wrapped up in this. And I'm going to say this could be true of someone maybe from 25 to 30. That's more my age range. Because guess what? Those 24-year-olds become the 25-year-olds, so on. But it's a paradox, right? Because we live in one of the most well-connected societies, literally in human history. And I'm not just talking about social media. Considering the fact that tonight I can fly from LA to JFK in New York to see a friend and back again, or I, my childhood best friend lives in Amsterdam, and I actually know pretty much everything that happened in her life yesterday. And yet, what we're seeing with this high rate of connectivity is that mental illness is skyrocketing, even physical illness along with it, and just higher reports of loneliness. And it was so interesting, because I found myself, I've never been on the, the general surgeon's page. Half of you are like, what is that? Is that the people who put like the smoking causes cancer on cigarette packages? Yes, that, those are the people. Um, but they have a whole website, and it's fascinating. I was checking it out, and it was so interesting, because this was the banner at the top of the page when I first found it. And they asked this question. The question is, what if there is something in our everyday lives that can transform our whole health and well-being? And I'm like, yeah, isn't that what we're asking at this age? Like, what if there was something that could transform our whole health and well-being? And then I scrolled down, and then this was the answer. (laughs) That something is called social connection. (laughs) And it seems so simple, right? Like, we can laugh at that and be like, well, duh. Like, the answer to loneliness is social connection. It's relationship, right? And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. That is why when we looked at all the core values that we can have as a community, as a church, that we could focus on for the next seven years, we focused on this one. The fact that life change 
cannot happen in isolation, but life change happens in relationship. In relationship. And I think it's fascinating because in, in a world where this is the climate where people are saying that we are maybe as lonely as ever, even though we're the most well-connected generation as ever, the world is just picking up on something that the Bible and scriptures have been celebrating for literally centuries. For centuries. When we look through Genesis, one of the first things that we're told when God creates humankind, creates the heavens and the earth and man, and he's standing there with man. And what does he say in Genesis 2, 18? He says, it is not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to make a helpmate for him. I'm going to help her for him. And I'm not just talking about the romantic element of that, but it says it's not good for man, for people to be alone. And as we touched on our spiritual warfare series, we have to be brought to mind the reality of if, why are we living as the loneliest generation? Because we have a live and active enemy working against us. So we might remain in isolation from God and his people. Because here's the truth. We, as the people of God, are better together. Creation is better together. Therefore, the world, the enemy, your flesh, will try to isolate you from relationships. Because listen, children of God, we are most fulfilled and effective in our relationship with Jesus when we are living out our faith with others. We are most fulfilled and effective in our relationship with Jesus that sometimes we like to keep in this neat little vacuum, right? Because other people are messy and church can hurt. But we're most effective when we're living out our faith with others. And I believe that's why many of you are here tonight. You're either looking for a relationship, period, or you want to grow in your walk with Jesus so you find yourself in the right place. And God designed it that way, that we would live out his word in community. So again, the enemy is going to do whatever it takes, even masquerading as connection. Think about it. Social media, pornography, they get us to what? Take shortcuts in our need for relationship at every turn to convince us, to keep us from God and his people. Last week, Pastor Brian Howard was talking about how God's people delight in God's word. That's our second core value. God's people delight in God's word. And he reminded us this, that trivial joys require very little. Trivial joys, things that pass, they require very little of us. But meaningful joys require significant sacrifice. And the same is true when it comes to relationships. When it comes to this connection that we seek, trivial connection requires very little of us. A click, a scroll, a search bar, even a passing, I'm fine, how about you in the office? When that's the farthest thing from the truth. We dismiss people, right? We have these automatic responses when it comes to people in our lives. The meaningful connection, real connection, requires significant sacrifice. So tonight, when we're talking about how life change happens in relationship, I'm going to warn you now, if you want meaningful, deep relationships, it's going to require something of you but I'm also gonna tell you it's so worth it. If you want your lives to change, if you wanna be connected to Jesus in a way that you've never been connected before, that's my hope. That's my hope that we would be the type of people willing to ask not just what is a, what is a relationship, but what is a life-changing relationship. So my hope is to clarify what godly, positive, life-changing relationships are really made of as we see them in the word of God. So friends, 
Can we be a people that are equipped to actually live this out? That's the question. And my belief is yes, yes. So let's commit to one of our first, not, or hopefully not last, acts of life-changing relationship together and open the Word of God. So if you have a phone, download the Bible app. We're going to open the Word of God together. <laughs> Meet me in Luke 5, verses 17 through 26. People are literally pulling them out of the bags. I love it. Okay, verse 17, here's the scene. It says, one day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord is with Jesus to heal the sick. So here's the scene. Jesus is in a home in Capernaum, which is his hometown or home of residence at this time. And when they're talking about people from Judea and Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Capernaum is almost 80 miles. This is a long journey on foot, especially in the ancient world. And he's in a house and he's teaching, but who is he teaching to? It says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And if you don't have any context for who these people are, these are like the religious elite. These are the people that as soon as they heard of who Jesus was in his ministry and word got out about his miracles, they became skeptical. Because for years there have been prophecies of a Messiah, a savior who would come back and deliver the people of Israel out of subordination and slavery to other nations. And in this case, they're in the Roman Empire. So they're curious, but they're also like, who's this man who's enacting miracles? He's kind of verging on what they would consider heresy. So they're not sitting there in a casual setting where Jesus is teaching them as maybe I'm teaching to you guys, hopefully as my friends. But he's under the microscope and he's in this house and he's sharing from the word of God to a group of people that are probably more critical than curious. And just to give a little more context, at this point in Luke 5, Jesus had already committed numerous miracles. In Luke 4, he healed the sick by the masses. There's the miracle of the fish when his disciples were out trying to catch fish and they were just coming up empty, coming up empty, and he said, cast it to the other side. And they pulled back hundreds of fish. He had cleansed a leper. So his renown is growing. His ministry and word of his ministry is growing. And Luke, who's a physician, by the way, notes that the power of the Lord was still with Jesus to heal the sick. So that's what's going on in the inside of this house. But let's take a look on what's going on the outside of this house. And verse 18 says this. So sitting Jesus inside teaching. Verse 18, it says, Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat or came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. This is a packed house. This is also a house full of maybe the more uptight of the religious community. And I'm sure there's people who are crowding around wanting to hear Jesus teaching. So they're trying to pull this man, this is more of a chaotic scene, to see if they can get him into the front door of the house. And for whatever reason, with the door shut, there's too many bodies, they just couldn't do it. But we know from this detail earlier from Luke that whether it was desperation or wisdom, they were taking this man to the feet of Jesus because they had heard of his healing powers. Which brings us to our first quality of life-changing relationship. What comprises a life-changing relationship? Life-changing relationships first identify Jesus as the source of life change. Don't miss this. I could stop my sermon here, but I'm not going to. 
Because why? Why is this so important? Life-changing relationships identify Jesus as a source of life change. Because I'm wondering if you're like me and you forget the truth that Psalm 16:2 holds that says, you, Lord, are so good. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I think we can fool ourselves in thinking life-changing relationships come from life-changing people. That's especially the world we live in, I think, here on the West Coast. Whether it's subliminal or not, we look at people and we're wondering, who can add status or appeal to my life? Maybe if it's not that, but we're like, man, I really like who that person is in and of themselves. Maybe they could add some richness to my life. They somehow possess a quality that I want to have around. And that's not bad in and of themselves. But what we can so do is we could start to put people on a pedestal only to find they are just as broken and as in need as we are. See, these friends, again, whether it was wisdom that brought them to the house where Jesus was or desperation saying, we've tried everything else, they understood this. They had found everything else had fallen short, their own capacities, the capacities of man. And I just need to point out at this moment in history, if you were disabled, if you had some sort of illness, first of all, you were a social outcast. And second of all, usually you would seek healing from like pools or bodies of water that you believed had some sort of like healing property. So if these men had exhausted that option, or maybe they didn't even go in the first place, they realized like, now nah, that's not gonna cut it. We need to go to the source. They recognized Jesus as the source, but not before facing some obstacles. So verse 19, they weren't able to get in the house, right? 19 tells us when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd that was there. So, okay, it's too crowded to get in. They went up on the roof and they lowered him through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. First of all, I don't know if they could see in the room, but that's like pretty good like engineering to be like, we will put him right at the feet of Jesus. I don't know how tall this building was. I know that structures in the Middle East at that time look a little different than today. It was a little easier to pry through the roof than maybe of this building. But all to say, whatever this building looked like, this was not an easy task. Like, I don't know if you've ever had to carry a friend when they're sleeping or maybe they just had surgery. Like if you had to carry someone's like dead weight, that's difficult. But imagine trying to get this man up on a roof. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. And then you had to pry it. Like you get there and you're like, oh my gosh, now we have to open up the ceiling and then we can't drop him. Like we don't know if he could feel anything or not, but we definitely cannot drop him. And maybe you have been that kind of friend. Five years ago, I had a really nasty knee surgery. And I remember my friend Robbie literally had to pull me out of my chair into a wheelchair every time I wanted to move. And it was excruciatingly painful. And it was difficult because I couldn't help a brother out like at all. And maybe you've been that friend and you think back and you're like, okay, that was worth it to show up for that person. Or maybe you're like me and you're thinking about this scenario and maybe it's not because you've been injured in any way, but you feel like you've been the one who's been carried where you've had the friends that are like, we are going to make a way. And can I tell you how lucky I am to have experienced that kind of friendship? Like truly, that kind of friendship has changed my life. People who, are, who have been as desperate for my good and my healing as I am, and I've been in desperate places. 
who, when I've expressed my need in seasons for me of crippling depression or anxiety, have shown up at my door, who've sat on garage floors with me, who've encouraged me, brought me flowers, reminded me that there is a source that is available to me for healing when I couldn't see it, when I was too far in my own head. And in this, we just need to recognize if that's you, if that's somewhere you've been, where you've been in need, we don't always make it easy for people to help us. Because real relationships are not usually convenient or clean. Like, do you think it was convenient for these men to carry their friend through the streets of Capernaum? Like, I've been there. We, got, we go to Israel every summer with our young adults ministry, just a shameless little plug. It's amazing. Um, but it's hot. It's hot. So even like walking down the street, I'm like, if I had to carry someone else's weight and then getting them up on the roof. And if we think about that more in the way of an emotional, social aspect, even in our own friendships, like that's hard. It's hard to carry the burden of another, but we're called to do that. And it takes time and energy. And we know as we really get to know people, guess what? We find out they're messy just like us. And sometimes, especially the ones following Jesus. Like, if you ever shown up to church and you're like, things will be different here. Like, I do hope you find people that love Jesus and point you back to Jesus. But I think it would be the biggest lie to believe that coming to a church, working at a church, is where you're going to find perfect people. And sometimes I feel like we put church people on this pedestal to be like, man, I am extra disappointed because you, you know Jesus. And sometimes we just have to level with others and be like, no, you need Jesus just as much as me. I'm going to give you grace. That's a, that's a whole nother sermon. Um, <laughs> but despite the mess and inconvenience of the paralyzed man's life, his friends display how life-changing relationships are radically selfless and endurant. They're radically selfless. Endurant just means they have endurance. They have longevity. And this is kind of like a dual truth because it's both selfless to serve others, to say, hey, I don't know what those guys had going on in their lives that day, whether they were friends or family members of this man, but they laid down everything to make sure he got to the feet of Jesus. But can I say it's also selfless to allow people to serve you? I know this is true. My own, I walked this way for so long where my own pride got in the way from allowing people to serve me. And believe me, it still does. Ask my friends, ask my husband, to say, no, I got this. I'm, I'm actually afraid of how you're going to serve me, so I'm not going to let you serve me in the first place. But the man on the mat had to lay down his own pride to even be served, and again, perhaps served imperfectly. I can imagine there's a point where they're trying to get him up on the roof, and he's like, hey, guys, not there. Like, my legs still matter. <laughs> and as we go through these attributes of life-changing relationships, I want us to consider both sides of that both as people who can serve others in this way, who maybe have been called to serve other people, and also in seasons of our lives where we're the people who need to be served. Because there will be seasons of life where you're the man or the woman on the mat needing to receive help with humility to say, you know what, I surrender. I need you to lift me up. I need you to tell me the truth, even if it hurts. I actually need you to take me from point A to point B. I need to travel with you because I cannot do that on my own. And there will be seasons where you're called to carry the mat, offering with selflessness and willing to be inconvenienced, willing to give up time and energy and resources in ways maybe you weren't even prepared to do. 
And sometimes the season can alternate days or weeks. I joke with my friends sometimes, it's like one day someone's in crisis and the next day they're not. And then I'm in crisis, so it's great, they could help me. But back to the man on the mat in the story. The boldness of this act of selflessness and endurance wasn't just limited to the physical feat of lowering him through the roof. Once the physical task was accomplished, let's consider the social consequences of what they just did. Again, the physically and mentally handicapped at the time were cultural and social outcasts. Because there is actually a belief that was both spiritual and social that was accepted at the time, not saying it was good or right, but it was accepted that if you were somehow disabled, it was because of sin. It was either your sin or your parents' sin or somewhere down the line, something happened to the point where we look at a story in John 9, 2, where Jesus meets a blind man and his disciples ask them, he's like, Rabbi, why is this man blind? Like, was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? It was just like natural for them to ask that. And Jesus answers them. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed through him. Basically, he was like, no, it's, it, this is not because of his sin. And I love Jesus for so many reasons, but I love him for this one especially. It's that he rewrote the narrative on so many things, including the inherent worth and dignity of people, including the disabled. He said, whether they're healed or not, on this side of eternity, they are worthy, they are good. And this is something people today still struggle with, and the Pharisees at the time struggled with. They associated disability with sin, with so many other things. So the paralyzed man's friend had to go into this situation fearing and revering God more than the mockery or the authority of man. They had to go into that situation saying, this is worth it to me because I know that there's a possibility that this Jesus might be able through his divine power to heal my friends and be more concerned with that than what the authorities, the religious authorities in that room would think of them. Thus showing us that life-changing relationships fear God more than people. Life-changing relationships fear God more than people. And hear me, this doesn't mean disrespecting others or making a mockery of authority. That is also not the heart and will of God. But this does look like friends who are willing to believe the truth of God, even when the world and others would speak otherwise. Yeah. This is a friend who sees you and says, hey, I don't think you should go along with that. You're actually made for more than that. Hey, actually, that's not actually super honoring to God. And I know that your heart is to serve him and honor him, you know, delivering the truth with grace but who would speak up in those times and say, I actually fear God more than I fear that group of people are being popular, the authority in this situation. So I'm gonna stand up and I'm gonna call you higher as well. Friends who, like we learned last week, delight in the Lord's word and seek his will for their lives and the lives of others above their own will or their own logic or conception of a situation we see the importance of relationships like this all throughout scripture, especially in the Proverbs. Proverbs 9:10 says this about wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. To know God is to know understanding. To fear God is to have wisdom. And what's that followed by? Proverbs 13, 20. It says, walk with who? The wise and become wise for a companion of fools 
suffers harm. You've heard this said in other ways culturally today, something like, you become like those you surround yourself with. The classic, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Why? Because we are impressionable. Because our character is shaped by those who we choose to walk with. And when I say walk with, and when scripture says walk with, this is not negating like, we shouldn't just walk with Christians, right? Like we should be the people out in our culture, out in our society, in our communities, inviting people to know the love of Jesus. But these are the people that have your ear. These are the people you go to advice for, that you ask for prayer from, that when you are making a big life decision, you go to them, who you spend the majority of your time with, because you become like those who you surround yourself with. And when I think about this, I think about my own life and I'm like, man, I want to be this type of friend who people want to walk in wisdom with imperfectly, failing at times. So people look at me and go, okay, well, the trajectory of her life actually is leading me closer to Jesus, even through her failures. When I'm around Sarah, she actually stirs my faith. And I'm wondering if you want that to be said of you. Man, when I'm with him, I just like want to love Jesus more. I see the way he serves the Father. I see the sacrifices he makes and actually shows me that that's possible. Like, have you ever had someone in your life where you're like, I did not know it was possible to love God that way? Yeah, I'm hearing, yes. We are called to be that for others. And it's through knowing the source of that that we're able to do that. And you know what we see in this passage is that Jesus honors this kind of friendship. Very clearly in verse 20, What did Jesus do when he sees this kind of friendship? It says in verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the friends, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. First of all, I love just like in a room full of critics in a room full of these religious leaders that maybe still have them under the microscope and are trying to like figure out what this Jesus is all about. This man gets lowered through the roof out of an act of faith and Jesus looks at him and he goes, oh, friend, Like he's like, oh, a friend, someone who sees me for who I am and I see them for who they are. He calls this man friend. And aside Jesus looking at this paralyzed man and calling him friend, there are two radical things about this verse. The first is this. It was the faith of the paralyzed man's friends that ultimately led him to receive forgiveness from Jesus. It was their faith. He says their faith And then he turned to him and said, your sins are forgiven. Now, we don't always see this in this physical direct representation, but what this is called is intercession. Intercession. What is intercession? It's the action of intervening on behalf of the other. Intervening on behalf of another. If I could sum it up, what the paralyzed men friend did for him, it would be this. They took him to a place he couldn't get to on his own. Physically. But what we mostly see and act in this way in the church today is through prayer. If you've ever heard of intercessory prayer, that's what it is. It's standing in the gap for another person. It's saying, okay, maybe you're being so consumed by something. Maybe the enemy is coming at you full force. You're believing lies. You're suffering. So I'm going to stand in the gap for you. And I'm going to go before the Lord and say, would you make a way that they can come back before you so they can plead to Jesus as the source of their healing? His friends closed the gap for him so he can come before the Lord. And what was so cool and also like kind of frustrating and annoying was as I I feel like anytime I go up to like preach or I'm like, I'm gonna gonna cover this passage, the Lord's like, 
okay, well, you're going to experience some of this. And it's always for my good, but I'm always like, dang it, this is hard. And this happened Tuesday morning. Tuesday is like my writing day. I was at home. And that morning, um, just had a really hard situation happen in a close relationship. It was kind of like one of those like worst case scenario moments where I was like, oh my gosh, I feared that this would happen. And it did. And it just took me out. Like my concentration was gone. Like I'd woken up early and I was like, okay, I'm going to finish this sermon today. It's going to be awesome. And I found myself just like on the edge of my bed crying. So I was like, dang it. And all this fear rushed in from past relationships and being like, are we going to do this again? This level of disappointment and hurt is just going to like live at the forefront of my mind today. And I just remember looking at my phone. I felt so clearly the Lord was like, you need to, you need to ask for prayer. And I was like, Ugh. first of all, I was like, I don't want to bring this heaviness on someone today. I'm like, this already ruined my morning. I don't want to ruin someone else's morning. And Lord, I was like, no, you need to text someone for prayer because you're not going to be able to move forward if you don't. So I decided to text Amy Williams, which is Pastor Brian Williams' wife. She's one of my good friends. And I remember even just being like embarrassed to write the words down because I was like, man, I don't want to like interrupt her day. She's sending her kids to school. But you know what happened? I sent this text to her. And within like two minutes, I get a four minute long prayer. Not advice, not her trying to like hype me up or like just at her own strength, encourage me. She brought me immediately into a place of prayer. And can I tell you, as that prayer like washed over me, my own probably unrighteous anger started to dissipate. My fear started to be quelled. She spoke truth over me. And then she encouraged me from the word of God. And it was nuts because afterwards I'm like hearing this and then I'm thinking in the back of my mind about the sermon that I'm writing about intercession and Luke 5. And I was like, dang it. (laughs) I'm living this out right now. (laughs) But I'm so glad I did. And even like I voice member back, I'm like, Amy, you'll never guess what. And she was like, Brian complains about this too. (laughs) But I got to experience God because of her. She wasn't the source, but she made a way for me to get back to the source. She interceded. She stood in the gap so I could be ministered to by God. And that just catapulted me into a morning where I got to meet God in prayer, where I got to be comforted and healed. And my mind was redirected because life-changing relationships intercede for others. And this could look, this could look one day like you stepping into a physically hard situation, putting yourself maybe in harm's way to get someone out of harm's way, But more often than not, guys, it's going to look like prayer for praying for one another, for standing in the gap, for seeing someone maybe having a hard time that you came with to service and you're like, I don't want to be weird, but asking them, hey, can I pray for you right now? You look like you're struggling. Or when someone tells you some hard news to be like, hey, I'm actually going to, do you mind if I stop right now and pray for you? This is how the kingdom of God advances. This is how the people of God are sustained in a realm where we can face pushback and warfare and the schemes of the enemy. So a path can be cleared again to the feet of Jesus. But intercession that led to Jesus was just one of the radical things that happened about this event. The next paradigm shifting really well for this man, but all of human history was this, that Jesus in this moment chose to forgive the man's sins. Like he chose to forgive the man's sins. And I think that could fall on deaf ears because we're like, yeah, of course, Jesus forgives sins. That's why a lot of us are here right now. Um, But at this time, the people of Israel and really humans around the world throughout human history, they didn't have a perfect intermediary. 
They didn't have a perfect one to reconcile them to God. And I put perfect here intentionally because here's what an intermediary is. It's a person who acts as a link between people in order to try to bring about an agreement or reconciliation. Bring an agreement or reconciliation. So back at this time, they had priests, they had prophets who heard and saw the things of God in part. Much like today, like we hear and see the things of God in part. Praise God, we get to hear and see the things of God. But even the priest, the high priest that day, couldn't forgive someone's sins for life. And people, every time they fell short, it was required of them an animal sacrifice of a perfect animal, a purification ritual. Like even the scribes, when they were writing scripture and they messed up, they would have to go through this whole bath ritual to make themselves clean again so they could reapproach the word of God. Sin was not something that someone can come and just say, you are forgiven. So this was revolutionary. Jesus displaying his divinity and foreshadowing the ultimate act of forgiveness, being a perfect sacrifice on the cross, which brings us to the next attribute, which I believe is so, so important in healthy relationships. If you wanna maintain a healthy relationship, keep this in mind. It's this, life-changing relationships recognize they need an intermediary. They recognize they need an intermediary not becoming fully dependent on one another for strength or even faith alone. I have friends who are amazing prayer warriors. One of the worst things I could do in my life is say, you know what, they could pray for me. I'm never gonna speak to the Father again. Yeah, it worked last time. I know that this man's friend, like this paralyzed man, his friend's faith catalyzed his ability to be near Jesus, but it was ultimately Jesus who delivered the forgiveness because your friends cannot bring you spiritual healing alone. Your small group community cannot bring you spiritual healing alone. Your boyfriend or girlfriend or sister or brother or mom or dad, no matter how wonderful and godly they are, they, they're not Jesus. They might point you to Jesus, but they're not him. And if we're not careful, we can crush our relationships under the expectation for them to be. Your relationship with God, your relationships can be intercessors between you and Jesus. That's amazing, and we should lean into that. But ultimately, Jesus is the only intermediary between you and God. And Jesus making this part of himself known to the world in front of all these religious leaders and these men is revolutionary in the ministry of Jesus, preluding his death, burial, and resurrection. And we will see that this created some tension in the audience. Verse 21, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? They're like, yes, this is the moment. We've been waiting for this. Who can forgive sins but God? And this is like in their minds, right? Jesus is still under the microscope. His divinity is still in question. But Jesus risked it. Why? Because he knew that healing the man physically wouldn't be enough. So he chose to lead with the miracle of most consequence. Forgiveness of sins would be for the man's good and his father's glory. And forgiveness of sins is the only way we'd ever have a really right relationship with God. So here Jesus, despite the internal criticism of those around him, displays the next attribute of a life-changing relationship. And it's this, life-changing relationships prioritize the gospel. They prioritize the gospel. Friend, Jesus said that you are, are forgiven. You're forgiven. 
And here at Calvary, we talk a lot about living and loving like Jesus. And sometimes I think that, again, could just fall on deaf ears. We're like, what does that look like? But here's one hyper-specific way of doing that in your relationships. Be committed in your relationships to live a life of forgiveness. This is hard. A life of grace and mercy and hope that points others to Jesus in all things. Why? Because you are a recipient of grace and mercy and hope that cannot be taken, that cannot be changed. And come on, we all know that relationships, friendships, and community, they're messy. Yeah, they're incredibly messy. And maybe that's why we avoid them. Some of the introverts in the room are like, like me, maybe I'm just convicted. I'm like, yeah, no, it's just because like I get drained around people, but maybe we avoid them because they're messy. Maybe we avoid them because they could be hard and we've been hurt. And I'll stand up here and say, like, sometimes we need to set boundaries. That's okay. But you know what? In a world where we're called to cut and run the moment somebody hurts you, ditch those who disturb our peace or get in way of our goals, or we harden our hearts to those who hurt us because of the gospel. The gospel invites us to remember again our need for grace, our need for Jesus, and extend that same grace to others. So if you're here and you don't yet have a personal relationship with Jesus, let me say it again. Jesus loves you. What does that mean? It means he sees you in your mess or maybe your unawareness that you have mess, unawareness that you have mess. And he forgives you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. He said he looked at the pain and agony of the cross and he looked at your life as imperfect as it can be. And he said, I want that. I want them. So for the joy set before him, he took the cross. He took on our sin and our shame in a way that we or no high priest or no perfect animal sacrifice ever could. He entered death, burial, and rose on the third day so a way could be made back to the Father God through him. And until we have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our earthly relationships are gonna pale They're going to feel ineffective. They're going to feel unfulfilling. So if you're curious or Jesus, in that moment, you're just like, man, that's tugging my heart. I want to know more. Like I'm all in. Please come see us. Come to the new here table. Talk to the person you came with and say, I want to know more. We have Bibles for you. We want to extend that conversation because again, we want to be a community that walks with you. We don't want to live in this individualized society. We're like, okay, you heard the word of God. Now see you next Thursday. We want to live life together. Because prioritizing gospel in your relationships will bring ultimate life change. Unlike these friends who brought their friend on the mat, the Pharisees and religious leaders did not yet believe in the power of the gospel. They were skeptical. And Jesus, being God, knew exactly what they were thinking, literally. Again, verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? I love Jesus. He asks more questions than he gives answers, because I think he wants people to like check themselves a little bit. He says in verse 23, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Both are hard, but he's right. He says, I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He's speaking about himself. And again, he's unveiling this aspect of himself before his skeptics, before the critics. And then he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He knew 
that of anything he can do. A miracle might impress them. A miracle may draw this sense of mystery around who he is or even make them question. Maybe he is divine, but forgiving that man's sins. A is an aspect that only God possesses. But B, again, is the only way that man could ever have a right relationship with God. And we knew, he knew physical healing was gonna change that man's entire life, but he didn't lead with that. We don't know how long this man has been paralyzed. It could have been weeks, it could have been years, it could have been since birth. But Jesus knows, and we need to know, understand this too, that one day physical healing would, would have been obsolete. That man could have lived his whole life being able to walk again. But if he didn't have a right relationship with God, it's all for nothing. His life would end and that would be it because physical healing cannot bridge the gap between that man and his God in heaven. And that's why eternally life-changing relationships always begin with a relationship with Jesus. You want eternal life change? You want your friends to have eternal life change? Like I have friends who I dearly love and I had to check myself because I was like, I love them so much, but I am so afraid to bring up Jesus in their presence. I don't want to get to heaven and have the Lord say, you are with them every day. You saw them. You went to the stores. She was the same checkout clerk you had all the time. You were friends since high school. And it's scary. And sometimes relationships are not ready. Or maybe they need time. And you say Jesus and it's offensive to them. But the most life-changing thing you could ever do is tell some of the hope of Jesus. To tell them that we are designed to walk together. That it's not even something they have to do by themselves. That he's designed us to walk together in relationship with him to be changed by his power and his presence in the word together. And we see this play out in the final verses. Verse 25, immediately the paralyzed man, what, stood up in front of them, took his mat that he had been laying on and went home praising God, praising God. And not just that, but everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe. And they said, we have seen remarkable things. We have seen remarkable things today. Can you imagine seeing this miracle? I think maybe some of us have. I've had the privilege of seeing healings before, and it's mind-blowing. But even if it's just seeing someone walk in peace for the first time from a life riddled by anxiety or being able to forgive their mom after a lifetime of abuse, do you know that's a miracle? Do you know we rejoice in the things of heaven? And do you know that the joy of rejoicing in the things of heaven is actually contagious? That's why we gather in corporate worship. That's why we're called to give our testimony. Because even when people are healed in isolation, we see this in scripture. Jesus, when he says, tell no one, what do they end up doing? They go tell everybody. That's a huge reason the ministry of Jesus exploded because people couldn't keep these things to themselves. That's why the last attribute of a life-changing relationship is this. It's life-changing relationships inevitably change the lives of others. They change the lives of others. It's meant to be a ripple effect. Our relationship with Jesus is not meant to be hidden. It's not to be meant to live in this vacuum, vacuum sealed, perfect little ziplock of our lives where we're safe and nothing ever hurts us because we never interact with people. No, introverts, extroverts alike, we're called to make disciples to show people Jesus and in turn be shown Jesus. Band, you can make your way back up. But this is our vision. 
this is the vision that our elders and our leaders came to when they're like, man, what are the six things we're gonna focus on in the next seven years as a church? For each of you in your close relationships and your small group communities and your families, as you consider your place here at church, because you have a place here in this community, in this family, this is what they said. This is the Calvary 2030 vision for this value. It says, we see a church filled with disciples who are relentless in their pursuit of God-honoring, life-changing relationships with other believers. We recognize that following Jesus is not meant to be done alone, and only through relationship with others we can live out the commands of Jesus and experience the life to the full that Jesus gives us. In a world that is growing more disconnected than ever before, we will be a different kind of people who willingly choose to do life with one another, depend on one another, pray for one another, provide for one another, and encourage each other daily. You can take a picture of that, you can screenshot it. This is what we're going to be looking forward to, church, for the next seven years. Because the most life-changing thing a friend can do for you is bring you closer to Jesus. And the most life-changing thing you could do for a friend is bring them closer to Jesus, even if they already know Jesus. Pursue these types of life-changing relationships. Be a friend who cultivates these things within yourselves. And if you're looking for a place to start, I know we talk about small groups. I'm just gonna put, I'm gonna put the QR code on the screen. Well, Autumn is, thank you, Autumn. Um, one more time. And here's the deal. Small groups are not the answer in and of themselves. I love small groups. I'm team small group because you get to meet other people who are looking at the word of God and going deeper and following up with you going, hey, how are you actually living this out? How can I help you? How can I encourage you? But they're just a starting place. Whether it's a small group or a people, group of people you're already meeting with, who you love, who you live with, your family, walk deeper, go deeper. Ask the Lord of all these attributes, where do you want me to begin to go deeper and begin to step into life-changing relationship with others, maybe for the first time. Wherever you start, YA, may this be a season where we see life change happen in a relationship like never before. Let's pray. Father God, I am so thankful that you created us to do life together. Lord, that when you went, you said you were gonna do greater things in my absence. Lord, that you gave us the church as a body, as a family. And we throw those words around, Lord, but I just pray in this season, we would not be the kind of people that just show up and dip and say, I got my fill, Lord. But we look around and we say, how can I sacrifice for the sake of others? How can I bring others in when I need to be carried on my mat? How can others help me see you more clearly? And how can I do the same in return, Jesus? Thank you that you are the source of life. Thank you that you make every relationship better. We love you, Jesus. Help us trust you and others more. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. I hope it was a blessing to you and want to invite you to join us on Thursday nights for service at 7 p.m. To connect with us, follow us on Instagram at calvya underscore or on our website, calvarywestlake.org.